0: You're listening to a message from our Young Adult Bible Study. We hope this podcast is a blessing to you. To learn more about our ministry, go to peacechurch.cc slash youngadults. I have a strange pet peeve. Um, You all do have a lot of strange pet peeves, and you'll discover them if you ever get married, because... uh, You'll not realize something about yourself until you spend every day with someone and they get annoyed about something and then you realize, oh, I do that. I didn't know I did that. Um, one thing that I do is I get annoyed um, about someone wanting to replace something of mine that isn't broken. I have a winter coat that still works. I don't want to replace it because it's not broken and that's just a pet peeve of mine when, people, like, when someone says, oh, we should spend more money to replace that. And I'm like, but it's not broken. Um, and I didn't know that about myself um, until I got married. Uh, because our kitchen sink. It drains water. It holds dishes. Why do we need to replace it? I say that even though it's very scratched up, very ugly. But for some reason... I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm a little annoyed by it myself. I'm like, if it's not, if it still works, why replace it? Um, if my car gets me from point A to point B, I don't want to replace it. And it doesn't matter if I've had lights on the dash for three years. Um, I still, for some reason, just, I'm, an, I'm an, it's just a part of me that I'm like, I, I don't, but I don't want to, I don't want to replace it. If it's not broken, if it still works, if my slippers still keep my feet warm, I don't want to replace them. It doesn't matter that they're basically in pieces because I've owned them for so long. For whatever reason, I am very stubborn about not wanting to replace things as long as it still works. I don't want new golf clubs. I don't want a new fishing reel. I don't want a new pair of boots. All of those things work just fine that becomes very problematic when the thing I believe works just fine is something that I probably should replace. My slippers, for example, are now so beat up and so uncomfortable that I don't even wear them, which then challenges my idea that they still work. Clearly they don't, they hurt my feet, I don't like to wear them, so I finally am now coming around to believing these slippers don't work anymore. And I ordered some new ones. Uh, The floors in our kitchen were so old and so damaged that there were generations of dirt, not our dirt, other people's dirt, multiple families of former homeowners' dirt, stains that were so disgusting. If you got too close, it was gross. They were like embedded in the little tiny crevices in the floor. And it was very, very, very gross. Um, and when I realized that, I was like, oh, no, these floors don't work anymore. We need new ones. Um, when the purpose is still being met, I don't want to change it. When the purpose is no longer being met, I need to change it. Um, when we think of purpose, when we think of what works, we can think of like silly things like slippers and kitchen floors and car tires which we all probably should change more often than we do. Um, What is our purpose in life? Are we working? Are we working towards what we ought to be? Are we focused on what we ought to be? And if not, we need to change things. And we are lying to ourselves if we think, no, it's working out, I'm working out just fine. If we're not living into our purpose, we need to change things. And here's the gist of the next two weeks um, of our series called Glory. Our purpose is from God. That's where we get our purpose from is God. We discover our purpose in God's plans. We discover our purpose in God's purposes. And our purpose is God's glory. Glory. Because God's purposes are always for his glory. Our purpose is God's glory because all of God's purposes, everything that God purposes is always for his glory. So I have two ideas here. First idea, our purpose is God's glory. Because everything that God purposes is ultimately for his glory. The Bible says that all things are from him, to him, through him, and for him. Therefore, we need to understand God's glory. So tonight, I want to talk about what is God's glory, and next week, I want to talk a little bit more about how we fit into that picture. What does it mean that our purpose is God's glory? But tonight, what is God's glory? Um, I have a book recommendation before we go to scripture. If you wanted to read a book about this topic, I'd recommend one if you wanted to read it. It's called All Things for Good, by Thomas Watson. It was written by a uh, Puritan in the 1600s, so it's an older book, which is kind of cool. It's like historical, it's really neat. Um, it's written in English, so it's not crazy. It's a little old English, but um, if you buy like a new, newer published version, it would they would update it, so it's not crazy. Um, but it changed the way I read scripture. It changed the way I view my life. It changed the way I view the world. Um, All Things for Good by Thomas Watson. It is a phenomenal study, of Romans 8.28. Did we just lose it? (gasps) Cool. Um, So that's a book recommendation if you wanted it. Um, But tonight I want to go to Romans 11.33 through 36. Gwen, you can put it on the screen. We go to scripture because Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's why we go to scripture. And in Romans eleven thirty-three through 36, it says this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Who or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. If you've ever studied Romans, uh, this passage is at the end of chapter 11. So this is at the end of 11 chapters of Paul talking about beautiful truth and doctrine. And he's about to transition to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, Paul gets a lot more practical in the letter about how to practically live. Chapters 1 through 11 are doctrinal about right thinking and then chapter 12 and on is about how to practically live that out. So he concludes his explanation of all this powerful doctrine with this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. So he just, he just pauses and takes a second to praise God. Matthew Henry calls these four verses adoration. About the infinite wisdom and sovereignty of God. The infinite wisdom and sovereignty of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? God's riches and wisdom and knowledge are deep. Oh, the depth. So Paul is pausing to admire the depth of God's wisdom. It's kind of like how we would walk up to the Grand Canyon and admire the depth of the Grand Canyon. Just in awe of the depth. Or when you think of like the Mariana Trench. No one's heard of this. It's the deepest place in the world. It's underwater. It is deeper. Than Mount Everest is tall. Crazy things live under there. I'll at some pictures. They're crazy. The water pressure. Is 1000 times more intense. Than at sea level. And we look at that. And we're in awe of the Depth. God's riches and wisdom are not yours. You're at sea level. And his riches and his wisdom are unparalleled. And it also says God's judgments and God's ways are unsearchable and inscrutable. And yes, I googled inscrutable. And I know more about what it means. Um, You cannot scrutinize God's judgments or his ways. Which means you can't search for it. You can't examine it. You can't take it and understand it. And and you can't figure it out. You can't scrutinize it. You can't find your way through it. It's unsearchable. You can't see it on a map. You can't draw it all out. His judgments and his ways. Unsearchable. And then he quotes from Isaiah. And he says "Who who can even counsel God? his ways are higher, his wisdom is deeper, his love is greater, his wrath is hotter, his judgments are holier. Paul is pausing a second to say, you are not God. You cannot be because only God is God. And then in the second half he says, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He's quoting from the book of Job. And he says, who could, who could give God something he doesn't already have? Or to be more precise, who could give God something that God didn't first give him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And then he says the point of it all. The idea that if you do not understand, you will always be missing a fundamental piece about reality, about life, about the Bible, about your faith, about the world. If you do not understand this last point, you will not fully understand life. And it's this, to him be glory forever. For from him and through him and to him are all things. He deserves all the glory. The glory already is his and he wants the glory. God's glory is God's mission. Hey, Quinn, could you put that slide up? Boom. If you've never understood this about God, then this sounds crazy. If you don't see God as someone who actually wants his glory, then this might sound crazy. This makes God seem egotistical and all about himself. And if you're saying that, then I bet some other concepts that might confuse you as well, that might seem odd, is the idea of God being jealous. Or that he has wrath against evil. But all three are very biblical ideas. That God has wrath against evil. That he is a jealous God and that he wants his Glory. His mission is his glory. That might seem odd to you, but you need to wrestle with the fact that it is a very biblical idea. That's how God reveals Himself. But the difference between God seeking His glory and us seeking glory is that the glory is His. He deserves it. He is glorious. There is no comparison. He is. The creator he is the judge he is sovereign and he is the savior he's not confused about who he is therefore he's not hiding from who he is he wants people to see him as he is and he is glorious if he is the savior it would be silly for him to be hiding but instead he is standing where you can see him and he is shouting saying i am the savior This is who I am. If you need to be saved, you need to see me. Look at me. And it is for our good that we recognize that. And I want to talk next week about what that means that we recognize that, that we live in light of that. But first, I just want to spend time discussing is this a biblical idea? The answer is yes. And I have a handout that I'll put at tables, that just gives like 30 verses that make it crystal clear that yes, God is glorious and he wants the, his creation to make note of that. He is a savior and he wants sinners that need to be saved to notice the savior. Um, some discussion questions for tonight would be uh, read this passage, what sticks out to you, what questions come up to you when you read it? What does this passage tell you about Jesus? I have a handout that I'll put at the tables that you guys can read through and discuss. Just go, like, go through the different verses, talk about them. And then if you wanted to end with these two questions, I think they'd be good. Why do you think we struggle with this topic? That God is after his glory, that he's a jealous God. What does that mean? Why is it good for us to recognize God's glory as important? We'll spend some time talking about that. Um, But first, I'm going to say a prayer. We'll talk for about 30 minutes, and then we'll end with prayer groups.